fun thing about going to local shops is they're in different neighborhoods. So you get to see different neighborhoods across the city to try your favorite brew. Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob and this episode's special guest. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or see the show notes from this episode, you can do that over at triphacksdc.com slash podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Trip Hacks DC Tours. Trip Hacks DC Tours run year-round, so no matter what time of year you're planning your trip, we can help show you around. You can learn more over at triphacksdc.com slash tours. Today I am joined by Austin Brower, and we are going to talk all about coffee in Washington, D.C. Austin is the host of Drip, a D.C. coffee podcast. He is passionate about coffee, but even more, the coffee community. His podcast, Drip, is designed to brew community by being deliberately curious about coffee and coffee culture. So, Austin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rob. And so, as the host of a coffee podcast, I imagine that you have been to many, many coffee shops in Washington, D.C. Is that correct? I've been to a few. How many, roughly, would you say that you have gotten a chance to visit in your time as a podcast host or just in general? Yeah, this was fun. I had no clue when you sent me this question, but I was reviewing the shops that I'd been to. And depending on how you splice it, like uh, you can count Loch Lomb Coffee. They have six shops. I'm just counting it as one. But it's it's probably over 30 or 40 shops. And that includes the local shops, the chains, the regional chains, everything that we've got to offer here. Yep. It includes really everything in the DMV. So DMV, for folks who might be new to the podcast or might be thinking about coming to Washington, D.C., stands for District of Columbia, Maryland, and Virginia. So I tend to focus just on the D part of the DMV. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you live here, chances are that you will eventually visit all three places. Yeah. So with that, we'll say over 20 shops in the the district. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's a lot. I think that certainly qualifies you to talk about coffee in the District of Columbia and the MV as well. So the first question I want to ask you is probably the most important question of this podcast, which is, you know, for people who are coming to Washington, D.C., and they like coffee, they drink it back home, you know, what can they expect from the local coffee scene, and and why should they even care about what our local coffee scene is like? Yeah. Well, so the first part, what they can expect from the local coffee scene. If you're coming to D.C. and you love coffee, there's a lot to offer in D.C. We have people who are roasting coffee. We have people who are selling coffee that's roasted elsewhere. But we have a very diverse group of coffee shops and cafes that you can visit for different experiences. And so kind of, you know, why people should care about visiting local shops. So I was thinking about this in a couple of different ways. The first part is economically. When you're visiting a new place or when I visit a new place, I really like to think about the economic impact that I can make. And by purchasing locally roasted coffee or going to local shops, you're actually putting money into the pockets of the people who live and work here in D.C. As you might imagine, it's pretty expensive here. So it's great to support your small businesses and for me, especially coffee shops. And then also, I think there's a really cultural component to this. The fun thing about going to local shops is they're in different neighborhoods. So you get to see different neighborhoods across the city to try your favorite brew You can talk to locals in them for the most part. People are pretty nice to answer questions of tourists, especially when it's in their neighborhood and not necessarily in the mall. I think people in the mall are 
nice and will answer questions. But if they're in their coffee shop, they're going to love to tell you about their neighborhood where you should go eat, drink, and have coffee. And then kind of last, just kind of the foodie and people. If you really want to try the food in D.C., it means you got to try the different coffee in D.C. as well. Most coffee shops have local baked goods. And so you can go and try the local baked goods through the coffee shops and then see different neighborhoods to experience that. So it's really a window into the day and life of people in D.C. I'm glad you mentioned that, especially about supporting local businesses. Trip Hacks D.C. is a local business. It's a tour company. And, you know, when you come, you can have your choice of touring with a big corporate tour company that has buses in every city of the world, or you can pick one of the local companies. And the beauty of the local company is that the local company cares about the city and cares about the community in a way that the big corporate chain, they come in and they say, okay, on this corner, I think I can make an extra, you know, so much money and therefore I'm going to do it. Whereas the local company, sure, they want to make money. They need to stay in business, of course, but they're, they're going to be in it for more than just making a buck in that particular location. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and millennials, as you know, we really love experiences and we love genuine and authentic experiences. There's no better way to do that than you know, going to small businesses. I think that's one of the things that draws people maybe to the chain places is the comfort of it. You know, when I'm traveling the world, I can go to Starbucks in Washington, D.C., in Paris, in Dubai, and I know exactly what I'm going to get. And there's some comfort in that. Mm -hmm. When you go to a local business, there's inherently some risk that maybe it'll be terrible. But I think the beauty of it, and we're going to run through some of your favorite coffee mm -hmm. shops at the end, is that if you go to the places that you recommend, you're not going to have a bad time. Mm -hmm. You're not going to have a bad experience. And so I think that that's one of the things that makes it unique and worth doing. Mm -hmm. So as far as your personal coffee preferences, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts. And the, the cool thing is that you have folks who roast it. You have folks who brew it. You have folks who own the different coffee shops. I mean, what's your... What do you think is the most interesting part of the coffee business? Is it the roasting? Is it the brewing? What, what is it about it that makes it special to you? Yeah. For me, I don't think there's a specific part within that process that calls out to me. I really love the stories around the industry and the people within it. I am a barista right now and talking to other baristas, they're an extremely diverse group of people who use coffee for a lot of different reasons. Some love it because they love the art. Some love it because they do want to get into roasting. But others are really using it as kind of a launch pad into their careers. So maybe they're interning somewhere and they need to make a buck so that they can pay rent. And so if you're just looking at the baristas, you see an extremely diverse group of people who are using coffee in different ways and they have stories. You have small business owners who are extremely passionate about coffee and DC and they decided to merge those together to – you know, make their living and then also share their experience and love for it. And so to me, the the thing I love are the stories. And as a barista, I mean, barista-ing is serious business. I mean, there are competitions where baristas go mm -hmm. and they ply their trade and they show off to each other. I mean, there's obviously something about this business, about that job that really brings out the creative side of people and they really want to show it off. Mm -hmm. And one thing about local businesses that's a reason why I think you know they're worth supporting is that it's really tough to run a small business. And I've never run a coffee shop. Mm -hmm. I've never run a restaurant. But I've seen so many come and go in D.C. And it's almost always the same story, which is that 
their lease ran out and the rent went up and they had to leave. Mm -hmm. And now in a lot of great, you know, happy endings, they were able to find another location and move over there and their customers were able to follow. But is this one of the most common things that you have found as you've talked to coffee shop owners and other folks in the industry? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I haven't really asked about the time horizon in which people are viewing these endeavors. My gut tells me that a lot of people are doing it because they see it as not only their job and career, but yeah, as their job and career and profession and kind of life experience. They like what working and owning a coffee shop gives them. But as you mentioned, it's any small business is difficult and specifically coffee shops being that there are pretty low margins within coffee. You have a lot of competition, especially now uh, within D.C., you have a lot of regional players, national players, and local players coming into play. It does make it difficult, and that's why it's I'm excited to be here talking to you because hopefully we can get people who are, are visiting D.C. to also visit our coffee shops. So in my podcast episode about restaurants in D.C., mm-hmm. it came out that there are very specific restaurant neighborhoods, Okay, at least now in 2019. So I'm wondering, is the same true for coffee? Are there coffee neighborhoods or neighborhoods where there are a large concentration of coffee shops altogether? Mm-hmm. That's an interesting question. I've never really approached it that way, but I think there definitely are. Some that come to mind for me and that are also really fun areas to visit for people in the city where there's probably already good restaurants as well. I was really thinking kind of about the 14th Street and U Street corridor, a lot of good shops there. Adams Morgan has some unique places. Georgetown, of course, has some nice ones. Those are the ones that I I was kind of thinking about off the top of my head. But really, anywhere you go into D.C., you're going to have access to good coffee. Yeah, 14th Street and that Shaw, U Street area, Mm -hmm. that definitely came up as being a restaurant neighborhood. I Mm -hmm. mean, this is where the hot new restaurants are, the hip places. If you want to go get your inner foodie, that's where you're going to head. Georgetown, it turns out, was kind of set, you know, not recommended as in the past. Maybe this was a restaurant neighborhood, but its time has passed mm-hmm. and other places have kind of taken over. So I'm, I'm interested to hear that you do mention Georgetown in that context. I agree there are a number of shops over there. You know, when you talk about the local and the regional and the national chains, I think we all know what the national chains are. It's these regional chains that I find most interesting because 10 years ago, I kind of feel like you had the national chains and you either loved them or you didn't. Mm -hmm. And then you had the local coffee shops and there was really nothing in between. But now in 2019, we have an in-between, which is that there are these coffee shops. Maybe they started in California. Maybe they started in New York and they were really popular in those places. And so they're starting to grow and DC is one of their growth destinations. So what can you tell us about these places and are they as good as the local shops or how are they different? Yeah. So some that come to mind for me uh, would be Loch Lome, Gregory's Coffee, Bluestone Lane, Those are all more regional players and you can argue in some ways that they're becoming national players. In in regards to are they better than local shops, it's always a fun question. People always ask me, you know, what's your favorite coffee shop? What's your favorite coffee? And it's so subjective to the person and their tastes and their interests that probably won't comment on that part. I think they all provide a really good experience for what they're trying to sell. And so it's just another way to get to know, say, the East Coast or a little taste of San Francisco and D.C., so they're they're good and definitely should try them. 
I think. You know, if it was up to me, I think you should go on a coffee tour and just try all of them. Which, by the way, I believe you told me you're going to start a coffee tour. <laughs> Shoot. I currently don't run a specific coffee tour. I have done a few by request, but I think it's a great op- opportunity if you're into this sort of thing. Reach out to a local tour guide and find out if they can take you on one. Yeah, I think people should do that. Maybe we could team up sometime and also provide that to the people. And to the last part of, of your question – Kind of what makes them different? It depends on, I think, where you're looking at. So you're testing my coffee knowledge a little bit here. I do really like coffee, so I think I okay. know. La Colombe is from Philadelphia. Uh-huh. Uh, Gregory's Coffee, I believe, is from New York City. At least mm-hmm. that's the first place that I had it. And Bluestone Lane, I think, is from Australia. Uh, it might have, even be the first international one that we have mentioned here. Yes, yeah, so they're an interesting case. They're heavily influenced by Australia. I'd have to check and see if they are an Australian company. At least the U.S. headquarters is out of New York, but it's heavily influenced by Australia, whether they're actually owned by Australians or they're coming directly from Australia. And so maybe the way you could think about this in the food equivalency is, you know, we have Shake Shack. Mm -hmm. We have a local burger restaurant called Good Stuff Eatery, Mm -hmm. and they're they're very similar in that they're high-end burgers, they're excellent milkshakes, and – Shake Shack started as as a literal shack mm-hmm. in New York City in Manhattan and it was so popular that they opened more stores there and then they opened stores all across the country. And it's it's because it's good. It's, you don't grow because you're not good. Mm-hmm. So when you're visiting and you're going to La Colombe or you're going to Phil's or one of these other places, you know, they didn't get here by being bad coffee. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't get here by being on the McDonald's value menu. They got here because they're they're good shops. Mm-hmm. But but when you're going to them, you're not putting money necessarily back into the local right. economy, back to your original kind of point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Would agree wholeheartedly. So this this also kind of leads into this, uh, a few terms I've heard before about first wave, second wave, and mm-hmm. third wave coffee shops. I think anyone who's read some articles about the coffee industry has heard these terms, but I actually don't fully understand what they are. So can you sort of explain what these terms mean and how they relate to our local coffee shops? Yeah. So Happy to, and I'm going to be honest, I work in coffee, have a coffee podcast, but I even had to go and refresh my memory on here. And they're really just kind of a a few terms to describe different parts of the growth of the coffee industry. In a lot of ways, they're all kind of still present currently. But the first wave really talks more about or applies to mass marketers who made it their mission to increase consumption of coffee and put it into every kitchen. So it's really about commodity coffee and growing America's consumption of it. And that could be like Folgers or some type of coffee like that that you'll find on your shelves. It follows a sea market in New York and is really in, don't want to say this negatively, but more a lower a lower grade coffee, but can still be good depending on how you want to use it. The second wave coffee is more artisan-driven coffee. And that's when people started to focus on the origins of coffee and the roasting styles. And this includes more companies like Pete's and Starbucks. And you start to see the rise of espresso beverages. Um, So like your lattes, your cappuccinos, cortados. And the third wave, kind of where we are in coffee right now, is really when coffee started to speak for itself. And that you started to see coffee going back to just drinking it black It was roasted lighter and uh, people really wanted to know more information about the coffee. So uh, which farm it was from, how it was processed, uh, when it was harvested, when it was roasted. And so it's been really connected to fine wines. So, you know, if you want to know what type of grape it is and 
I don't know that much about wines, to be honest, but just much more information about it. And so that's when companies like Stumptown and Intelligentsia came onto the scene. And even a little bit, you kind of get some more snooty baristas. But I think in D.C., for the most part, baristas are really excited to share their knowledge. And if you're inquisitive about it in the right way and you ask your barista like, oh, what is this? Why is this different than my coffee that I'm drinking in Dayton, Ohio? You can really get into some fun conversations about the coffee and how it tastes and why it tastes that way. So I guess that's just a brief overview of those three waves. And that leads into a perfect tip, which is ask your barista questions. Yeah. Don't just order something off the menu that you don't know what it is and then if you don't like it, you know, walk away upset. You know, ask questions before you order. And I personally have never encountered a very overly snooty barista. You yeah. know, everybody has bad days here and then. Yep. I have a bad day at work every once in a while. So don't be too harsh on people, especially if the Metro is having a rough day or and they yeah. have a tough time getting into work. But I personally have found baristas to be extremely helpful. And when I go to a new shop, you know, sometimes they have a signature drink or something that they mm-hmm. named something special, even if it's not a special drink. And I, I'm always curious and they always give me a good answer and, and really help me figure out what I'm about to get into. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you can use your barista as a resource, whether it's about the coffee you want to drink or a restaurant in the neighborhood. Baristas typically live in their neighborhood or they spend so much time there that they'll go out to restaurants. And so you ask about your coffee, you get your coffee, then you're like, hey, where should we go for lunch? It's it's really good resource for people who are trying to see the city and through the eyes of somebody who lives here. That is an excellent tip because D.C. is a city of neighborhoods and one of the reasons why I struggle so much with recommending restaurants is because I know all the restaurants in my neighborhood and I know almost no restaurants outside my neighborhood. And a barista, if they live in the neighborhood where they're working, which chances are they they may or at least they work there so they're around the area, if you ask them for a recommendation, they'll give you a better one than I'd be able to give you mm-hmm. because they're in that neighborhood and they know what's good around. So that is a really good tip. I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah. So you mentioned the roasting process earlier and I know that there are some – places in D.C. that roast beans. I think Qualia Coffee was one of the first, if not the first, that was actually roasting beans in the coffee shop. They used to have just a little machine in the back that used to roast in these really small batches. And when you'd buy them, it would say roasted on this date, and it was only like three days ago. Mm -hmm. And those were always some of the best coffees I've ever made at home in my life because the beans were so fresh. And I didn't appreciate until that point how important the freshness of the beans is. So when when someone wants to, they come to D.C., they want to get some beans to bring home, but they want the fresh stuff. They don't mm-hmm. want to get you know something off the supermarket shelf. Where should they go? What are some good places to get freshly roasted beans around here? Yeah. So here's the ones that come to mind for me right off the bat. You have Swings, Qualia, Vigilante Coffee, which is in Maryland. Peregrine Espresso is actually kind of a, a fun example. They have this roastery called Small Plains, which – Supplies Peregrine, but it's similar companies. So they'd be ones to check out. And then you also have Compass Coffee in D.C. And Swings is actually one of the oldest roasters in D.C. I think they're a 100 years old or so. And then Qualia Coffee and Vigilante Coffee were some of the first specialty roasters in D.C. and really kind of helped lead the charge for specialty coffee in D.C. 
Yeah, I think Qualia actually has multiple locations now, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. So they've been successful enough to open up a few locations. I know I've heard the owner in a few articles and yeah. other places talk about some of the struggles of the business, which is what I was asking about earlier. But man, they they definitely have some of the best beans that I have ever tasted. And so we'll put links in the show notes to all the places you just referenced. So mm-hmm. don't feel like you have to go back in the podcast to, to write those down. We'll make sure that you get them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And if I may say just Qualia is really fun because they usually have 11 to 12 different single origin coffees. So if you're trying to tour the global coffee scene, they're a good place for it. Um, Swings always has a, a couple fun ones going on. Vigilante has some really specialty coffee often. And uh, Compass and Peregrine have some really nice stuff. Small Plains has some really interesting roast as well. And for someone who's not too into coffee, what you mean by single origin is that it comes from one specific place. Mm -hmm. So maybe it comes from Rwanda Mm -hmm. or it comes from Colombia. Whereas a blend, I think is what it's called, means that you took beans from one country and you mixed them with beans from another country and that's how you're differentiating them. Yep, exactly. Single origins are fun and I think there's a question somewhere in here about this, but single origins are fun because you're tasting a specific coffee and often with these specialty shops, a specific coffee from a specific farm. So you're really tasting one coffee from one region, one altitude, and all that coffee was roasted a certain way based on the variables that around its processing and altitude. And therefore, you can really just get some fun flavors. The blends, because it's multiple different coffees, the roaster typically chooses the beans specifically to to get the taste of that roast, but you're not going to taste the specific components of that blend unless you're a professional coffee like a Q grader or something. So so let's say that you want to experience this, try mm-hmm. some single origins. We just went into a coffee shop before we got to the podcast studio mm-hmm. and there was a menu and it had 20 different things on it. And you know, to be completely honest, I'm only going to get one thing. And so how should one approach this when they go into a coffee shop and they see all these choices and they think, I'm not going to drink 20 different things, but I want to have a good experience. I want to try something special. You know, how would you approach that situation? Yeah. So I think there's there's two routes to it, right? There's the, I want to explore coffee and try new single origin coffees. Or there's, I want to have a drink. I'm not really sure what I want. I want to be led by my barista. And that's something that you got to figure out for yourself because if you get a single origin coffee, it may not be the best thing you ever drink. It's not going to be that comfortable latte or cappuccino that you typically drink. But if you know a little bit about what you like, talk to your barista. The shop we went to didn't have any single origin pour overs, so it would be a little more difficult to taste some of the single origin coffees. But if you're at a specialty shop in D.C. that has two or three pour overs, I say you go to your barista and say – you know, I typically drink this. I want to try something new. What do you think? And they'll probably come back to you with some questions and and help, you know, think about the nuances of your palate to lead you in the right direction for what coffee you want to taste. Otherwise, I think you can say, hey, barista, what's the drink you sell most of on the menu? Would love to try that. And when when you say pour over for folks who might not know, that's when they take the beans, they grind them, and then they put them into a little – cup that they then pour water straight from a kettle through, and Mm -hmm. that's what makes your coffee. So it's not that different from the coffee machine that you have in your kitchen, except that instead of a machine pouring the water through the grounds, it's a human doing it, and it has the human touch, which makes it a little bit more, makes it a little bit better, I guess. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the fun thing about coffee is there's tons of different brewing devices, but for the most part, it's just you put water and coffee together, and therefore, 
you get coffee. But yeah, it's it's a single cup brewing device typically that allows the ground to be specifically chosen for the amount of coffee that you're brewing. So it, they pull out really fun flavors. So as a barista, how often does someone come into your coffee shop and say, hey, I'm from out of town. I normally drink Starbucks, Pike Place, but I want something special. You know, what? how often does that happen and how often do you feel like they're happy with what they get? Yeah, not super often. I'd say they actually come and either just order in a, 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 like a, a tall coffee and then I know they usually go to Starbucks and may need some navigating on my side. Because of the terminology, of course. Yep. Nobody else calls it a tall. Exactly. Or they're just kind of perusing the menu. And so using context clues, often myself and other baristas can say, oh, maybe this person's kind of new to the shop or new to the area. And so they'll ask follow-up questions. But your baristas are, you can think of them as trained professionals. So they know their coffees, and based on what you say, they're going to be able to set you up for success. I feel like I need to take better advantage of this as a purchaser of coffee because even today when we went to that coffee shop, I walked right up. I said exactly what I wanted, and they gave me what I asked for, and I really didn't have much of a conversation with the barista. So mm-hmm. I feel like I missed out on an opportunity to do that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try – I'm going to pledge to be better at having a conversation yeah. with my baristas and having them try to guide me through the, the coffee experience. We can go back today. Oh, that sounds good to yeah. me. Maybe I'll get something else. There you go. And so as a barista, you do latte art. I guess that's – is that still a popular thing? Are people still going to coffee shops and asking for specific pictures to be drawn in their lattes? I've never had a picture request, but people very much appreciate the latte art. And it's it does make me feel good when people are like, oh, that's a beautiful latte art and they snap a photo for Instagram. Typically, the art doesn't really influence the taste of the coffee. It shows that the – Milk is foamed appropriately uh, depending on what drink you get. But I think it's a fun kind of uh, relationship between the barista and the guest. And then it's also just fun for the guest. So I want to ask about iced coffee because Washington, D.C. has four seasons. And in the winter, I'm a hot coffee guy. Mm -hmm. But the five, six months of the year when it's warm, I am an iced coffee guy. And so iced coffee is interesting because – you're not just taking yesterday's coffee and putting it on ice, or at least if you are, you shouldn't you know, be going to that coffee shop. <laughs> you're, you're probably not a third wave coffee shop. But I, I learned something really interesting from one of your recent podcast episodes, which is that there's iced coffee and there's cold brew, and now there's what they're calling draft coffee, mm-hmm. which is actually if you've ever had a beer on draft at a bar, it's that. They put it in a keg and they serve it through essentially a beer tap. In this case, it's a coffee tap. So how has the iced coffee scene evolved and what can people expect now in 2019 when they come and it's the middle of summer, it's a 100-degree day and they're looking for something cold? Yeah. The iced coffee scene has really developed. As you just mentioned, there's a couple different types of cold coffee, whether it's cold brew or a draft coffee. And people are getting much more creative with it, which is really fun and exciting for consumers who do like cold coffees. For example, like La Colombe out of Philadelphia, but they have draft lattes. um, And that's just a latte that's chilled and nitro infused. But if you're really looking for good iced coffee, and and I say this because they're the ones that come to mind, but I'm going to be honest, I don't drink a lot of cold coffee. um, Well, I do. So maybe I'll give them a try and then I can report back. There you go. Or if there's ones that you really like, put them on here. But this coffee shop is actually out in Virginia, so I hope that's okay. But Commonwealth Joe has some of the best really draft and cold coffee 
out there and they have multiple different kinds. So you show up and it, it looks like they're pulling in a beer because they have six different tabs and they've done a really kind of great job with their coffee brews. Um, and it's their own roasted coffee and their own iced coffee and actually probably draft coffee. And then I actually just interviewed Tyler Phillips from Alchemist Coffee and he does draft coffee and he uses roasters from all across the world to make his draft coffee. And you can find his coffee um, in a lot of different restaurants in D.C. and also at Tastemakers in D.C., which is probably a fun place to go to anyways if you really want to try a couple different types of food. But I would say those two places have you know the best draft coffee in D.C. Well, I can vouch for Commonwealth Joe because at the office where we are right now, they do have it. It's by special delivery and it's not every day. So we're not going to be able to go out there and, and get it right now because the keg's surely empty at this time in the week. But it is absolutely delicious. I put ice in my cup. I go pull the tap and man, that is the best iced coffee I think I've ever had in my life. So whatever they're doing, they're doing it right. But that's a testament to the fact that if you're into iced coffee, you should try this stuff out mm -hmm. because even if you've been making iced coffee in your French press cold brew like I did for many years, I thought this is as good as it's going to get. And then I had this and it was like a whole other world that I never explored. Yeah. And if I may, the you know, DC is a, a community of very innovative business owners and Commonwealth Joe is doing some really cool stuff, growing their business to New York and they've actually created a Commonwealth Joe kegerator. So they're putting this kegerator into different apartments, complexes, and people can go swipe their debit card and then pull the tab and based on how much draft coffee they get, it charges their card. But uh, when we're thinking about the waves of coffee, I mean, there's more to come with an innovation in coffee, and DC's uh, not a bad place for that. Yeah, I was going to say, based on the episode you just did about Alchemist Coffee, it seems like there's a fourth wave coming if it's not already here. Mm -hmm. That is, I'm really looking forward to because this concept is just, to me, really, really awesome. Mm -hmm. So, Austin, I want to move on to the lightning round, oh, where shoot. I'm going to ask you about, I'm going to ask you a few questions and tell me where you would go to get a coffee based on, you know, what you're what you're looking for. And then I'm going to put all of these places in the show notes. So people who are thinking, man, I got to try these out. Don't feel like you have to write them all down, especially if you're in the car or on a run right now. But check out the show notes and we'll have links to them. So the first one is where would you go to get a cup of coffee if you only have $3 to spend? Which by the way, in DC, which is an expensive city, $3 is not very much to spend. Yeah. Any specialty shop. I know I'm supposed to pick a place, but any specialty shop, you can at least get a cup of coffee for under $3. Not a latte probably. Not a latte. A cup of a coffee. A cup of coffee. So their drip brew you can get. If you do want answers, so I, I live in Shaw. We mentioned Shaw already. And the place that's closest to me that I really like their coffees is the coffee bar. And they have rotating roasters. So you're not always getting coffee from D.C., but you're getting really good regional um, and national roasters. And you can go and get a under $3 cup of coffee. All right. Excellent. Next one, where would you go to get a cup of coffee if money is no object? Uh oh, okay. So the place that I'm going to say is going to be opened in September 2019 at La Cosecha at Union Market. And the place is Unido. And Unido is out of Panama. And they're going to have only Panama specialty coffee in the shop. So you're going to be able to go there and pay for a Panama a Panamanian flight and try coffees from Panama, different regions, different roasting styles, different processing styles. And it's going to be more than $3. That's interesting. Panama, when you go to the supermarket and you're looking at all the bags on the shelf, you don't see them 
represented very well. Is it a very specialty market or just a really small country, which is why they don't have very much coffee? Very specialty market. So the Panama Geisha is one of the most expensive, if not the most expensive coffee in the world. And it's really became famous in Panama. And it's coffee scored on a 100-point scale. And if it's over, I think it's 82 or 85, it's called specialty coffee. And these geishas are scoring in the high 90s. So it's pretty incredible coffee, but it's also really expensive because of that and therefore not probably not on your supermarket shelves. Okay. This next one is one that you might not like, but where would you go if someone in your group refuses to drink coffee, they only drink tea? Calabash tea. You're not going to get coffee there, but I think even coffee drinkers can appreciate Calabash tea. It's fun because you go in and they say, how can we heal you today or how can we support you today? And you describe to them your emotions and what you're looking for with the drink and they'll get you a really good, unique tea. And it's also just a fun experience. That is an interesting experience. I think I'm going to check that out. You should. As, as a non-tea drinker, it sounds like it's right up my alley. Yeah, and it's good teas. This next one is where would you go to get a cup of coffee if someone in your group says they like coffee but they've never been anywhere besides Starbucks? Ebenezer's Coffee. Ebenezer's Coffee, the coffee director there, and this is a lightning round so I can speed up if you want, but uh, Ebenezer's Coffee, they always have some really unique drinks there. So they'll have a lavender latte and you know, Starbucks, they're, they're more of a specialty shop, but I think you'll be able to find some drinks there that are, are sweet and a little different for you that may still fit your palate. And Ebenezer's is interesting because it's owned by a church, mm-hmm. I believe, and in their coffee shop near Union Station, they actually have church services under the coffee shop. So if you go there on a Sunday or a Saturday evening, you might hear church music blasting and people preaching. And that's it's not nothing wrong with that. That's part of the experience. Yeah. And if you want to learn more about them, I did interview them. They're one of my first interviews. I think they're fourth or fifth. But yeah, owned by National Community Church. They turned a crack house into a coffee house. You can still see the old train tracks from you know, where the the trains entered Union Station through that place. So just a, a fun kind of neighborhoody shop. Where would you go if you just want a black coffee? So this kind of rolls up into the, the $3 one. I said TCB or the coffee bar. They always have fun coffee. And then I'll also give a shout out to La Colombe. Their Corsica coffee is a really dark roast coffee, but it always is what I want in the morning. And you would get it as a pour-over rather than as a pre-made so, or would you get the pre-made? So for for this one, they only have it in the drip kind of form. It's usually brewed that morning, but it's just brewed in a big container versus a single cup. Ah, OK. Where would you go if you want to have a coffee experience on your vacation that you will never forget? This was a hard one, but this shop is also opening up soon. It's going to be Sweet Science Coffee and Sweet Science Coffee is owned by a woman who just – loves coffee but is very like intellectually curious about it and so she provides a lot of interesting experience is with the coffee shop so you can either go and get your cup of coffee get your latte or you can even take classes there of how to how to make a latte or one of the most interesting ones she was telling me about was you could go on a date there and have a date coffee and she'll kind of walk through all the different coffees you're trying very cool where would you go if you don't have time to sit down and you want to get your coffee to go? I think you're good anywhere. The coffee shops in D.C. are used to high quantity of people. So you can go most places and get it in and out pretty quickly. I'll put my own shout out on this one because the Velo Cafe yeah. at the Wharf, they have a they have a walk-up window, which 
If you've ever been to a drive-thru, you know what the concept is. You drive your car up, they give it to you, and you drive away. And this is the pedestrian version of that, which I very much appreciate because I've been saying for almost a decade now that why, why don't places have a walk-away window like they do with the drive-thru? So when I'm looking for a coffee to go, I often will stop there, especially when I'm on my way to a tour because it's often on my way over to the National Mall. Where would you go if you want the most beautiful latte art masterpiece? Yes, I think you're also good in a lot of places. What I came to mind initially was the wind down, 14th Street and 8th Street. They have really good training and they – a lot of fun coffees there. But the latte art is always on point. Yeah, I went there once with a group and I think they got a matcha latte, mm -hmm. which is technically not coffee if I'm understanding it correctly. But yeah, it was uh, pretty beautiful looking. That's for sure. Where would you go if you want an amazing donut or pastry to go along with your drink? Yeah, so I'm going to focus on the pastry part of this, the pastry and desserts, kind of all of the above in that that department. And I'm going to say two, but they're the same kind of group. And it's the Bake Joint and Baked and Wired. Not only do they have amazing baked goods, but they also have some pretty good food too, where they have like bacon and chives and cheese baked into a roll and then make it an egg sandwich. So uh, you can't go wrong there. And Baked and Wired is in Georgetown. Mm -hmm. And some people might have heard of them because for a long time, cupcakes were big and Georgetown Cupcake was on TV. So everybody was going to Georgetown Cupcake. And all the locals would always say, oh, you know, if you want to go to the real Georgetown Cupcake shop, you got to go to Baked and Wired. Mm -hmm. So it's always had the reputation of being a local's favorite. Yeah, and, and sometimes you're not getting in and out of that place quickly because a lot of people show up and the line's out the door. But uh, if it's during kind of fairly good hours, you can get in and out quickly. Well, I'll throw in for Donut. I always go to District Donut, mm. which is a great local business. They were originally on Capitol Hill. Now they have a location at the Wharf, and I'm sure they will expand and be in other places. But I think what the pastry chef said sets them apart is that in most donut shops, they have one batter, and then they just change the topping or you know whatever they dip it in. But at District Donut, every donut has its own recipe. And hmm. so everyone's unique, and I think that's pretty cool. Where would you go if you don't mind leaving the city? Vigilante Coffee. I mentioned them a couple times, but uh, you get to see the neighborhood of Hyattsville and uh, they have really good coffee. The owners are really cool and um, are very welcoming to anybody who's there. And it's it's called Vigilante because I believe that's the owner's name. It's not because there are a bunch of vigilantes. Mm -hmm. True. Very true. So it's Chris Vigilante. If you want to learn more about his story. There's also an episode. Yeah, I highly recommend that go. one. I learned a lot from that one. Yeah. We covered this one a little bit already, but if it's a 100-degree day and you only want something iced, where would you go for an iced coffee? Yeah, Commonwealth Joe or Tastemakers to get Alchemist coffee. Where would you go if you want to get coffee poured from a tap? So I kind of looped that into the other answer, the kind of iced or just thinking about cold coffee. La Colombe, if you're in D.C., is fun because they have the, the draft lattes, which you can't always get if you're not from and what, what is a draft latte? I'm curious about this now because a latte is espresso mixed with milk. Uh, I can't remember which order. But mm -hmm. when it's on tap, how does that work? Yeah, so it's just cold milk and espresso. Typically, is it, it's cold. And then you pump nitrogen through it. So it stays cold. It mixes together and it has just a slightly different mouthfeel than, say, an iced latte would have. Huh. That sounds delicious on I think I'm going to try one of those yeah. as soon as I can. Last one. Where would you go if someone asks you where the most iconic coffee shop in D.C. is? That's a tough one. I couldn't choose one. So I'm going to say 
Swings, Peregrine, Vigilante, or Qualia Coffee. We already talked a little bit about them, and that's kind of the reasons why. When I wrote this question, I was writing it thinking you were going to say Swings, and that was the first one out of your mouth. And that's just because Swings has been around for forever. Mm -hmm. uh, over 100 years, I think you've said. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about an iconic place, it's Swings. And also because for most visitors, it's right next to the White House. So it's not mm -hmm. like you're going to have to travel far to get to it. I believe they actually have two locations over near the White House now, so very easily accessible for your typical visitor. Yeah, and to add on that, if you want the iconic one, you got to go to – oh, shoot, I'm going to forget – Forget it now, but I think it's the G Street location, and that's when you'll you'll see the shop that they've had for a long time, and it just was renovated, and, and it's nice. But they have another location right on the other side of the White House, then they also have a location in Virginia. Yep, so very easy to find when you're visiting in that area. Well, Austin, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sharing all of your expert knowledge about coffee and the Washington, D.C. coffee scene. So we already mentioned your podcast is called Drip. Can you tell a little bit about that and where people can find you and follow along with you if they're interested in checking out your stuff? Yeah, well, thanks for, for having me on it and thanks for what you do because it's, it's I think, important for people to see the city through locals' eyes and you are that local. Drip, a DC coffee podcast, was started about two years ago, and it's really to talk to people within the coffee community, whether they're a cafe owner, a roaster, a barista, or somebody who's even part of the ancillary community. And what I mean by that is people who are designing cafes or somebody who works in a nonprofit with coffee, but really just promoting the scene, being curious about coffee, and hopefully being a place for consumers and people in the industry to learn about each other. Can listen to that podcast wherever you get your podcasts, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, even Spotify now. And uh, when you type it in, put drip colon a DC coffee podcast and it will show up. The, you can also find me on my website or uh, Instagram. And of course, we're going to put all of these links into today's show notes. So head on over to triphacksdc.com slash podcast and you'll be able to find all the links to all of Austin's great work. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.